Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for coming. Um, the forum in, uh, for this morning will be on the Little Hands Orphanage in Takati, Mexico. And um, we have Brother Mark with us, Brother Mark Ikage as well, that he will be sharing a bit of the history on how it started. And then my wife and I will be sharing about some of the current, um, current needs and current activities at the orphanage. But before we start, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can be gathered in this place in a brief oasis in the, in the desert and that we can just spend this week here at camp. And we know that there's so much need out in the world and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would individualize and speak to each one of us where we can be helping to fill those needs with thy help. And we just pray that in this forum now that that would speak to each one of our hearts and show us how we can um, be involved and how we can be serving. And we thank thee for the opportunity and for our brothers and sisters that are serving full-time at Little Hands. And we ask that that would continue to bless that ministry. Pray and ask all this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen. Just a brief update. I know it was mentioned in announcements this morning about the, um, the wildfires. We heard that last night that they were, uh, thank the Lord, were able to put them out. So um, definitely continue to keep that in prayer that they wouldn't crop up again, but they were um, basically, you could see the smoke billowing right from the, um, from standing on the orphanage property, so certainly very close. Um, the order of events for the forum, we're gonna, we have a brief video that we're gonna show to start off, and then Brother Mark will share some of the history um, of the orphanage and how it came to be, and then we'll go into a, a PowerPoint. Um, so we'll start with the video. But Jesus called unto them and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. It's a bit touching to see some of these slides and uh, to think of all the lives that have been touched um, over the years. Mexico is a country like many other countries in this world where many children suffer a lot um, for different reasons. Um, due to broken homes, broken families, rampant abuse of alcohols and drugs, which is actually true in a country like ours as well. Many children do suffer and uh, need uh, additional care and help that they're not receiving. And so I, I um, marvel and I, I really appreciate the love that the brothers and sisters in, in Mexico have had for the uh, children over the years. Um, their annual VBS has been a very important part of their ministry as a church. And over the years, um, I don't know how many children they have reached, uh, but it's been literally hundreds and hundreds. Um, when you count up the years in both Takadi and Sonora, many, many children have come to the VBS. And I think that's just a reflection of the love they have in their heart, uh, coupled with the opportunity they have, because uh, many times these children are just sim simply not being cared for and, um, as, as they ought to be. So I've been asked to share a few words, a brief history of the, uh, the outreach in uh, Manos Pequeñas there and in, in outside in the outskirts of Takadi that uh, we've seen the slides on. Um, the desire for an orphanage or for a, um, a, a, a place for children to be cared for was a special burden that was placed in the heart of a single sister at the time uh, from Harrow, Canada. And um, while the, the brothers and sisters, as I mentioned, have always had an interest in and in a heart for the uncared for children, um, Sister Natasha had that as a special burden in her heart. And as the Lord worked it out, uh, that burden coincided with her engagement uh, to a brother from the Takati congregation. Um, so it was in 2014 that this began to be discussed, this desire to do more and make a special effort to reach out to the children and, and help the needy children in, in that area. And there was a lot of, uh, there was discussion at camp as well, and uh, a lot of uh, support and enthusiasm was being expressed both um, here at camp and in different places where this conversation would take place. You know, what if we had an orphanage? What if we had a place for the children to be cared for? And a lot of expression was made of support and enthusiasm. So that, that began about 2014. Uh, property was found. Um, there in, as I say, the outskirts of Takati in a more rural area, uh, a large piece of property um, at a reasonable price, about 29 acres approximately. Um, and 
There were some very generous uh, donors who had it in their hearts to help support that. They made it possible that a loan could be uh, secured. And uh, so a loan to cover the purchase was granted by some private parties. Uh, advisory committee was formed, made up of members from the Foundation, from the Mission Board of Canada, uh, from the Mexican Support Committee in particular. And um, there was also a, and, and more details will be given of this later on in, in today's presentation, um, there was also a, what we might think of as a 501c3, a nonprofit charitable organization, the equivalent thereof in Mexico, which is known as a civil association, was formed of five members from the Takati congregation who would be the legal arm in the representation of the, the Takati orphanage, the Manos Pequeñas. That was uh, beginning already back in 2014. There's a lot of paperwork, of course, to go through. You know, it's not like any one of us had started orphanages before. So there was a lot of uncharted territories, territory for us to uh, navigate. Um, as well with the uh, Mexican government, uh, there had been a heightened interest in the Mexican government over the years uh, for the plight of the children and what more could be done to um, provide for their needs. And so as additional regulation would come into place, uh, there was a lot of um, unknowns when it came to organizing the, um, the legal entity of the Takati Orphanage. So that was in 2014, these things began to, uh, these things began, these efforts began. In 2015, Brother Daniel and Sister Natasha Cervantes moved on to the uh, property. The work of the organizing this legal entity continued. Um, there were countless inspections that needed to be, uh, uh, to occur uh, from the DIF, the, which is the, uh, if you will, the Mexican uh, Child Protection Agency or the equivalent thereof. They have a lot of requirements, and they're principally involved with the children that will be sent. And so uh, meeting their needs and um, the various inspections that they would require. Um, the, of course, there are also um, inspections from the health department, the fire department, and many visits from the interested brothers and sisters who would come down to see how the work is progressing. When the property was purchased, there was... There was a building. There were buildings on the property, but those buildings had to be um, upgraded. They had to be updated to some extent that it would be suitable to be able to take children in. A lot of volunteer work, of course, went into that. Um, so a lot of these, this type of work up front was expected, and a lot of effort was made. Um, I think what was a little bit unexpected was just how long it was going to take to have those children actually finally come on site. And I just would say uh, briefly that I don't believe that was a lack on the part of effort made by the brothers and sisters involved, um, whether north or south of the border, but really the changing regulations or the, um, just the pace, um, certainly not light speed, of uh, some of the uh, governmental agencies that you're working with um, to satisfy them and, and to get things approved. And so it, it really was a bit unexpected how long it would take to get all the final approvals before the children could come on site. So 2015 was a time of, continued to be a time of preparation, but also a time of waiting. Um, so it was finally in July of 2016, the first three children arrived. Uh, a lot of excitement, and um, I just would say, while we're going to, uh, the brother and sister will go into a little bit more detail than I will at this moment, um, but there's just been a nonstop whirlwind of activity since uh, July 2016. It's four years now, uh, three years, I can do my math. Um, and we homeschool also, come to think of it. Um, but these three years have been a, a whirlwind of nonstop activity as the children have come. And again, I, w I want to leave, uh, I don't want to go into all the details since uh, Brother Jonathan and Sister Melody will speak a little more to that. Um, but the main house has had many improvements done to it. Um, and while, you know, trying to balance different things, we want to be able to improve the site so that it's, you know, it passes inspection, it meets regulation and expectations. At the same time, we, we want to make this something that is comparable to what is normal in the culture. Um, we're not trying to build uh, something that will be uh, so, such a far cry from and so different and, and in a sense, uh, materialistically superior to what um, the average person in that area would experience. So trying to balance that so that it's not... Uh, it's, it's, we're trying to build the, appropriately for the need. Um, a well was dug, as you saw on the slides, uh, 55 feet deep, and um, the, yet there continues to be a need. Uh, it's an area of, of, you know, it's very arid naturally. 
Um, winter time, we have a lot of rain typically out that part of the world, and, um, and so the winter will get the, the well will fill up more than it is uh, during the uh, summer months. Um, but still, we're thankful that a well could be dug, um, and I believe that was by hand. Um, so I'm thankful I wasn't the one 55 feet down, but somebody was, and we're thankful to God for that. A second building was converted into a small one-bedroom um, for a second caregiver. It was later extended again. And so the work on improving the property continues um, uh, one chapter at a time. Um, just rec- very recently, I think just within this past week or so, another effort to uh, uh, upgrade the solar system so that they could actually have uh, air conditioning throughout the, the heat of the summer has just been completed. And, and even the deep was making comments about, you know, you know this is, it gets really hot out here. You need to have some way of cooling this build, these buildings for the children. So in one way, you tried not to build in a way that um, supersedes or is somehow superior to uh, what's normal in the culture there around. But at the same time, you have to consider the basic needs of the children. Um, so it's a bit of a balance, um, trying to balance uh, both those considerations out. Uh, vehicles have been donated over time. There's been a lot of work that's been done to, um, uh, to make those vehicles uh, running and, and suitable for the, uh, the needs of the orphanage. There's a lot of driving that takes place because even though it's a bit of a rural area and they have a large property, uh, many of these children will need um, a lot of visits and appointments. They need to go see their doctors and specialists and so forth. They're under a lot of you know, uh, court-appointed uh, court um, actions that are, these children are under. And so there's not just, it's not like they're just staying out there on the property for, you know, uh, six days, and they show up in church on the seventh day. There's often a lot of back and forth um, into the city uh, throughout the week. So you need reliable transportation. The road's getting out there. Um, I remember the first time we took a ride out uh, to the orphanage, and I, I, when, we, when we pulled up finally to the orphanage and, um, and got out of the car, I, I, um, I was tempted to look underneath the, you know, the undercarriage to see how it's doing. Uh, Brother Daniel was the driver at the time, and um, I, I resisted that temptation. I thought, wow, this is going to take a beating on the vehicles in the years to come. And it really has. And so um, a lot of effort has gone into providing vehicles and, and uh, making sure they're in running condition. Um, thanks to some very generous believers, uh, God placed it on their heart. You know, there is no longer a, a loan on the property. Um, there is no outstanding debt or obligation in that sense. Uh, but in so many ways, God's blessings have been really manifested and evident uh, throughout these three, four years um, that the interest has first surfaced. Um, and I, I really appreciate so much to see how God has, has um, met through some of our people uh, the great need of some of the children there. And you see how the ground is prepared. Um, as you look at how the churches in Mexico have had such a special burden on their heart for the children. And, and, and again, I say that their VBS efforts have been uh, stellar. I, it, they may not feel like it from their part, but the, the number, the hundreds of children they have reached over the years, it's, um, it's beautiful. And I, I praise God for that. And so it, it seemed to be only fitting and it only seemed to be worked out really well in God's timing that they would not only uh, make that type of effort, but now they have a year-round effort through Manos Pequeñas. So these are a few um, thoughts I wanted to share with you with respect to the, um, a brief history of the uh, effort there in, in Takati, beginning about 2014, uh, 15, 16, when the children first came on site. Thank you very much. Good job. Thank you, Brother Mark. Um, so just a little background on why my wife, Melanie, and I are doing the presentation. Um, we were asked by Brother Willie Ritzman um, to be the... Um, in a sense, for ACC, NBC, the Canadian arm, um, to provide the presentations to keep the churches, at least in Canada and at, um, at camp, informed. Um, Melody's also from Takati originally, and she's also worked at a, uh, a children's home that was very similar to um, Manos Pequeñas um, that the sister church runs, so she has um, a lot of background experience with this. So the a little bit of the organization, the... Um, the orphanage is um, com- run by the uh, the operations of it are run by the local congre- um, Takati congregations um, organization. That we call it the AC or the Civil Association, which is a nonprofit in Mexico. 
and there's uh, there's four members of the Takati congregation that are on that board, and they make they meet um, probably monthly or more often than that if needed to make um, a lot of the decisions for the the um, home. Supporting the civil association, there's um, the TOAC committee, so the Takati Orphanage Advisory Committee, and that's comprised of members from the foundation, ACCMBC, um, the Mex- Mexican Support Committee, which Brother Mark's on, and um, they have maybe monthly or by um, every two months um, conference calls to discuss more of um, sometimes vision, um, vision discussions or um, financial discussions to support the civil association. All this began in 2014. The, um, the property is about 15 minutes from the Takati Church, and um, for those of you that are interested in visiting, it's only about an hour from San Diego Airport, so just to put that in perspective, it's not, it's not very far away from San Diego, and it's right across the border. Um, one of the reasons this property, this particular one was chosen was that it is in the country, but it is still close enough to the city to allow for um, Obviously, you go into church on Sundays, but also the um, doctor visits and schooling and other needs that the children have. So this country property allows the children to be out of the city and the influences, um, lots of space to run around and and develop as children, and yet they're still not too far away from civilization and being um, connected with the resources that are needed in town. And it's also scalable. Um, As Brother Mark mentioned, there's two buildings, two main housing buildings on the campus, but because of it being 29 acres, there's lots of room as, um, as the Lord would provide for future caregivers. Um, there would also be opportunities then to build future homes and to continue to grow this ministry. Um, so we're thankful for, for the amount of space that we do have. As Brother Mark had mentioned, there was a lot of work to bring the, uh, the property up to um, its current um, current level, so the uh, the home and um, the two homes have had a lot done on it to um, just to bring it up to code, and that that's what w- took a lot of the time initially. Um, Brother Mark touched on different um, safety regulations, and um, it just seemed like there was a lot of um, a lot of red tape to get through. But we're thankful that God provided a way, and that that they were able to get through all of that. Um, I think the next, next slide will be Melody. What was it? Oh, thanks. So uh, we started with babies. As Brother Mark mentioned, the first three children arrived in um, 2016. And many people asked the question, why, why just babies? Um, so there were a few, a few reasons for that. First of all, when Natasha moved, she didn't know a lot of Spanish, and um, working with babies is a lot easier if you uh, don't need to communicate as much. Uh, the other reason was that the Mexican Child Protection Agency, Thief, had a refuge for babies and toddlers that was at 300% capacity. Um, so... For those of you who have children, you can only imagine what that looks like, you know, children stuffed in cribs and maybe enough time to um, throw a bottle in there. And if you're lucky, you get your diaper changed. And if you're cute, then you get one-on-one time with the caregivers. So it is, it is a pretty dire situation. Um, so that in itself was a, um, a big blessing for, for those children. Um, so then Brother Lazar Sefko joined um, in the second house. You see him to the right, um, and he took care of four boys, um, and he was there for a year and a half. So then um, Jonathan and Carla, a Mexican couple, worked at the orphanage for about one and a half years as well, and uh, Sister Becca Florica from Harrow um, started in September, no, that's not true, January of 2018. So she's been there a bit over a year now. 
So in the three years that we've had children, um, 32 have passed through. And um, these are all, one, one thing that I think would be important to know is that we say orphanage, um, but most of the children are not actually orphans. Um, it would be similar to a foster care system. So these children arrive because the Child Protection Agency took them out of homes where there was abuse, neglect, um, or a dangerous situation. So many of the babies that arrive are drug babies, are malnourished. Um, some of them had awful um, diseases that took a while to, um, to heal from. Uh, I remember there were a couple of babies that just had this odor that it was very unpleasant no matter how much you bathed them. And then after talking to the doctor, he basically said um, they're detoxing from all of the drugs that are in their system. So after a few weeks, the scent should go away after having proper nutrition. So you have that aspect of health of the children, but even after six months, you see improvement in um, visual contact, in knowing that a smile is a way to connect with a person. If they haven't seen a, an adult that cares for them and loves them in a while, they don't have that attachment. So those, that growth is very, very beautiful to watch. So we have some of the statistics of the children who have come through. Um, if the children arrive when they're between zero and two years old, they'll usually stay from two to six months before being adopted. So what happens is the Child Protection Agency, thief sees, wow, this place is really good at caring for, the, caring for the children. Let's drop them in there for a few months so that the babies recuperate. And then when we give it to the adoptive family, they think they have a normal child. So... Um, so it's often used that way, which is, can be discouraging at times. You think, why is there so much turnover? Why don't we, why don't we see more effective, um, or why don't we see more fruit for our labors, you know, if we want to teach these children about the Lord? And I think Daniel and Natasha got to that point of discouragement, you know, we do we want this for long term. And um, what happened if you or what happened sometime later was that one of the adoptive families contacted Daniel and Natasha and said, you know, we never really prayed much, but our son um, always folds his hands and bows his head before every meal, and he waits for us to do the same. So he, we thought, you know, he'll get over it after a few weeks, but he hasn't, and so we just decided to start praying as a family. And so that was very encouraging for them to see, you know, that you might not always see the fruit, but God's word never returns void. Um, so that was um, encouraging. The rest of these say, um, if, if they arrive between three, three to five years old, they might stay there up to two years. And then if they're six or older, they're pretty much permanent there because most uh, parents are looking for an infant or a young child young child. So 70% of children who come to Little Hands have a mom that is under 25, single, and is a drug abuser. 50% of the children at the orphanage don't have a father listed on their birth certificate. 20% of children have family visit, so grandparents, aunts, or uncles but only 13% of children have had their mother visit. And that might be because um, the mother has no interest or it could be because she's restricted by thief and is not an apt mother um, at that point. So these are a few of the children, or all the children basically, that have come through um, little hands, or manos pequeñas. So what are the goals for Manos Pequeñas? Number one would be that in learning about God's love and his word, children will begin their journey of healing from their past and begin breaking generational sin cycles. The reason many of these children are at little hands is because their mothers or parents 
were probably in their shoes um, when they were babies or infants. It's a, a cycle that has not been broken because of sin. Number two, children will become leaders in the community, the church, and in their homes as they become responsible and hardworking fathers and mothers, develop skills that will enable them to be independent and effective in the workforce. So, what does Manos Pequeños, Pequeños look like? It's not like the movie of Annie <laughs> at all. We, we often hear orphanage and we think of this big building where you put as many children in as you possibly can and then one adult in there to run it. Um, that's very unhealthy and most institutions like that have seen that it has very negative effects. So Manos Pequeñas is more of a foster care model. So the ideal for the future would be to have a husband and wife with four to six children giving one-on-one -on -one care in separate homes. So as we grow to build more homes on the property where these children can have a safe environment but also be taught um, be taught one-on-one -on -one about the Lord. Um, at this point, there's varied permanency of children, as was mentioned before. Some of them are getting adopted. Some of them are there permanently. But the vision would be that as we grow, that um, we would want children to stay longer term, to have more time to plant seeds. It's also um, privately funded. We're talking to Daniel and Natasha and asked if the government was at all involved in, um, in sponsoring Manos Pequeñas, and they said that in the past three years, they've received $200 from the government. Um, so for that reason, we um, rely on um, very generous brothers and sisters who have stepped in for that. One other thing I think that's important to know is, you know, these children have been, um, have experienced abuse, um, sexual, verbal, physical. And so if that's the background that children have and you put them all in one building, the cycle will be repeated among them. So it is unsafe to, you know, we want, we want to see numbers, we want to see big growth and see how many children we're influencing, but we also want to protect them from repeating um, what happened to them. And so not to portray them in a negative sense. They're not monsters. They're not, they're not you know, going to um, attack each other because they're bad children. It's more that they have been hurt. They've been victims and what happens is if you're a victim, you usually become a perpetrator. So we want to teach them about the love of God and, and walk them through that healing process. This September. Um, we also have another sister from Ontario, Sister Adina Jarvine, and um, she has been serving um, on and off. She had a trial, um, trial run for a couple months, and then she started back in June, and she'll be serving until the end of the year. We also have a couple other sisters that are um, serving short-term for two to four months and are their backup, um, backup relief for these two caregivers. As well, Daniel and Natasha Cervantes are the current directors of the home. Um, but in the next month or two, Daniel will actually be transitioning out as director, and um, we're currently looking for a, another director. Sister Natasha will still be co-director, but we're looking for another director to fill that role and, um, and take, on, take on that responsibility. Um, we're also very thankful to the Lord that a local family from the Takati Church, um, brother's name is Juan Carlos, and his wife and two adult daughters have recently committed to, um, to being willing to be full-time caregivers at the home, um, which we think is wonderful because it's it's um, local Spanish family that will, uh, will be there uh, more long-term because what we're really, um, as we progress through the chapters at Little Hands, we're really looking to 
to have caregivers that are are there for the long term. We definitely need short-term help as well, um, but we're very thankful for this family that's willing to be there on a long-term basis. Um, Brother Juan Carlos is also going to be taking some of Daniel's responsibilities from a maintenance perspective, um, so he'll be maintaining the grounds and the facilities on campus. And as a prayer request, they, um, this family has committed to working there, but the um, Again, the government agencies, they have quite a number of list of requirements. So the family has been going through different checks and screenings and even trainings just to be able to be qualified by the Mexican government to uh, be caregivers. So we just ask that you would pray that they would, the last check boxes could get filled so that they could be approved. And we're looking that they would be able to sp start sometime in August um, full time. These are some of the current children. Um, currently there's seven at the home between the two houses. Playtime outside in the large property. So we're also thankful and we wanted to share a bit about local involvement. So there's certainly been work teams from the US and Canada and we are thankful for each one that has participated in those and, um, and there continues to be work teams. We were actually just talking with Daniel um, last night and he was sharing that Saturday there was a team of brothers from San Diego that were there until um, I think 10.30 at night just to get one of the projects um, completed at the orphanage. So we're very thankful for um, brothers and sisters willing to go down and, and serve even on a, on a week or a, even on a Saturday. Um, the the Takati Church as well, we're very thankful for their involvement. Um, one family from church typically um, in December puts on a kind of a Christmas dinner and Christmas day for the children um, and they have activities and kind of take the kids off campus and um, give them some presents and things. So we're, we're thankful that they can experience that. Um, some of the members at church have also gotten clearance so that they can be short-time um, relief workers, per se, so maybe giving a full-time caregiver the day off. Um, so some of the members have gone through that um, screening to be able to do that. Um, we're also very thankful a physician in Takati when the orphanage was starting, he offered that any of the children, any of their medical care, he said, bring them to me and I will, take, I will give them medical care without any cost. So that's been an incredible blessing to be able to um, basically have a doctor on call willing to help um, whenever needed. Because some of these children, as Melody had shared, have you know, serious problems with drugs, like right from the womb, basically. And, and we're very thankful that um, this physician's willing to help in that regard. Um, there's also a, another man that brings um, milk from his farm on occasion. There's another business that provides accounting and legal help for the orphanage um, at a very, basically almost next to no cost. Um, but certainly there's, um, there's still a lot of dependence on the U.S. and Canada to provide, um, to provide some of the financing and backing to keep the orphanage going. So we'd like to talk about the rest of our presentation on how, how you can be involved and how you can help. Um, there's there's a, just a wide spectrum of involvement that you can take part in to help, um, help the Lord's work in this area. The need is great, and um, we've seen how God's blessed this work through the lives of many of you already. From a construction aspect, there's some, uh, there's as, as Brother Mark had mentioned, there's always continual upgrades and things that, um, that we've been trying to do to, um, to grow the facility and to be able to um, bring on more children and maybe just bring the level of care up to something that the Mexican DEEF requires and something that is um, tolerable for the caregivers on site. Um, so some of the major ones, we have a solar upgrade and um, providing a mini split air conditioning unit for the common room in each home. Um, so this, the temperatures can go up to 120 degrees in the summertime and with no AC and it can get quite hot and you had crying babies on top of it and lack of sleep and all that combined. Um, so we, um, we had the need to put an AC and um, the work team on this past Saturday actually was able to install it, but um, it was about $19,000. So there's definitely a need um, to uh, for some of these projects for financially 
Um, there's also a storage structure that we, um, we don't have currently, but that we're looking to build. So as, um, as the orphanage has um, continued on, different people at different times will um, have donations of clothing or different materials, and they'll give it to the orphanage, but they need a place to store it because the two homes are f full with children. So we're looking for kind of a, a, a storehouse, a, kind of a warehouse type structure to be able to store clothing and other, um, other material things that have been given. Um, a new water tank, so the current water tank is leaking, so um, we're losing water from the well or from water trucks that come in, so we're looking to replace the water tank and, um, and a pump for it. And um, also the current property has kind of like a cattle fence, which is large squares of wire fencing, and they're looking to change that to chain link just to um, not only to keep the kids from being able to get out, but also to protect the children from, um, from people trying to um, just, it's in the country, so it's not very populated, just to provide a bit of security protection. Obviously there's financial need, but much greater is um, prayer needs. So just, we've listed some of the, the needs, laborers for the vineyard. This is um, by far the most pressing need to have willing brothers and sisters um, to be able to serve as caregivers and um, to be able to serve as house parents. Um, for the children, provide healing in their lives, um, unity for just the whole staff at Little Hands, um, that they could be a blessing. Um, another, um, I guess, tangent or offshoot ministry is even the, the grandparents and the uncles and aunts that come and visit. Um, you know, they could be coming on a regular basis and them experiencing the love of Christ, even if it's for that hour or two on a Saturday when they come and visit the children. Um, leadership from the different um, committees and advisory boards, just being in tune for the Lord's um, will and which direction the mission should go. And um, just also for the caregivers, patience in knowing how to raise and teach and share God's love to the children that they're entrusted with. So what where do you where do you go if you want to help? What do you what can you do? Um, we uh, we have some some ideas here. So there's there's work teams as we've mentioned. Usually one or two a year that you can go on that are one or two weeks long. Um, you could do a fundraising event at your church or consider sponsoring a child f with a mo monthly donation. Um, if you're also interested in going on short-term um, trips or even long-term, um, the brothers' emails are listed here and you can come and speak to any of us afterwards to get connected with the brothers involved in, um, in planning, um, planning your involvement or your trip. Um, Brother Willie Ritzman from the Canadian side and on the U.S. or other side, um, other parts of the world, Brother Frank Vodakovich, Brother Mark Ickage, or Brother Dushan Tomek. So as uh, Brother Mark and Jonathan mentioned, we do have a very large need for caregivers. And the vision would be to have a husband and wife who could model um, what a stable family unit looks like, how mom and dad work together and have distinct roles and can problem solve and still love each other. And so that would be ideal. Um, we, we also have seen that two single sisters who are compatible working together can also, can also be a, a big blessing for the children. So we would ask that you would pray about it. If this is something that God would call you to do, um, I remember when I was praying about moving to the orphanage the sister church has, the director told me, if God wants you here, we want you here. If he doesn't want you here, we don't want you either. So <laughs> make sure it is God's, God's calling in your life. And um, it can be a very special, very difficult, but very, very beautiful um, service. So what could that look like? Um, Committing to two years or more is best for the children um, to have some stability. They've had um, unhealthy attachments with their biological parents and continually having to reattach to a new person um, can also be harmful. So um, we know that God is sovereign over it all and can redeem those cases where the 
the detachment is inevitable, but um, having somebody stable would be would be a huge blessing. Um, at this point, we're in we're in the growing pains of of little hands, and so we realize finding a Spanish-speaking couple might not um, might not be realistic at this point. But a part of the process would be to learn Spanish to be able to to communicate with these children. Um, for caring to up to six children um, at a time, six or less would be um, manageable, but um, it, would, it would look similar to having your own children in, in, in the tasks of every day of feeding, caring for, teaching them, and caring for them, teaching them, um, teaching them to work, teaching them about the love of God. So, as was mentioned here, the contacts, if you're Canadian and um, would consider doing, doing this, um, Brother Willie Ritzman would be your contact. Um, if you're not Canadian, then uh, Brother Frank Vidakovich, Brother Mark Gigic, or um, Brother Dushan Tomek. So there's also volunteering opportunities for those who can't commit long-term at this point. Um, we've had several sister, brothers and sisters who have come down to, to help work. Um, it could be a week at a time. It could be two weeks at a time. Um, some have done a couple of months. Sister Milana Goodrich is there for a couple months. Um, Sister Marian, I believe, is going for a few, a few months as well this year. And um, it just provides some relief to the caregivers there and some extra support that is needed. So it's a 24-hour care. Um, it's not an eight-to-five job. So 24-hour care of children and supporting the caregivers in the way that the ways that they've established care for their children. We know that everybody has different parenting skills, but just walking into with a teachable spirit and um, wanting to be a help. So we're looking for 18 years or older as volunteers. Um, when you'd arrive, you'd give, be given the rundown of how, um, of what, what needs to be done. Um, sometimes you might be working with the caregiver, sometimes you might be on your own. Um, so one part that could be intimidating would be if you don't know Spanish, you're thinking, how in the world am I going to take care of these children? But because they've had English speakers as caregivers, the older children have started learning English. So if one of them doesn't understand, some of the others can help translate sometimes. And, um, and then the babies are a little easier. Um, you don't have to talk to them as much in their own language. So, um, so this is something to pray about if the Lord would have you, have you do this um, as a service. We would also encourage you to um, connect with your church and have them sponsor your trip. Um, we've seen very, very big blessings in, in churches being owning the mission and praying for those that they send out and supporting them in prayer and encouragement. So we, uh, we also just want to thank everyone for um, their prayer support, their financial support, their willingness to go and serve on short trips. Um, we asked Daniel, we were talking with Daniel and Natasha the other night, and they, they shared even just thanks for um, timely emails, you know, when, when, they, when you're really in the trenches and you get an email of encouragement from one of their brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, it could be across the continent, yet it's still a huge boost. It's an encouragement. Um, you know, it might not seem like a lot of effort on our part to write that email or send that text, but it does mean a lot, of, a lot for the, those that are serving um, on the front lines or in the trenches. Um, and yeah, at, that, at this point, we'd like to open it up for any questions. Um, that there might be, Brother Bob. The, the current budget is, um, we're currently with the current funding able to support the current budget, um, but that funding, some of it is made by monthly pledges, so some of that funding is guaranteed, but some of that is also not guaranteed. Um, so all, not all of the, the, the entire budget is not a committed to um, sponsored amount, so. 
at the present time it is, thank the Lord, but um, some of these capital projects are also not in the budget. So they're not, um, they don't receive specific funding. It's um, funds that are raised for these projects. Dollar wise? <laughs> the, uh, the budget per month is um, supplies, the staffing and keeping the facilities running is roughly around 7,000 US per month. Um, that's a rough number. And it's also fluctuating as, um, as, as staff changes um, and obviously different, different needs that arise per month, but that's the, the current budget is roughly 7,000 per month, US dollars. Sorry, a couple hands, Brother Chris, and then the one for the back. Great question. So if you're interested in serving on a one to two month basis or less, even a week basis, um, all that really requires is just your passport and um, some kind of police check that Sister Natasha can give to the Mexican um, child care agency. Um, if you're looking to serve on a one year basis, um, a visa needs to be applied for so that that would take more than um, more than a month to, to plan for. But if you're looking for a short term, it's kind of a month notice in advance to get the paperwork in line. Um, but even the one-year visa, that's more of filling out paperwork and, um, and just having that go through the system. If you're looking to do more long-term, um, a couple of our sisters, Sister Adina and Sister um, Rebecca, they actually also went for a week of training to help um, in that specific um, ministry of child raising. There's, um, there's training that they go to in the US for that. That's put on by another organization. So there's another question. Yes, in the center? S something about US and Canadian citizens? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not sure if we... We can definitely ask, and um, if you come up um, later on and give us your info, then we can, we can definitely answer that for you. I'm not sure if um, US and Canadians, how easy or not easy it is to adopt. Brother Dave? The, uh, the um, cost per child, um, if I remember correctly, I think it's about 400 US dollars a month. Um, and that, that f is based on food, um, keeping the facilities running, so all the utilities, um, the clothing for the children, um, all of that kind of comes together. Um, yeah, I, I just would add to that, Brother Dave. Um, I'm not sure if those metrics have all been worked out, um, but I do think it would be important to probably um, confirm a number that could be uh, shared. Well, I'm, you're not expecting someone here to adopt a child for $400 a month. I'm talking mm -mm. about what might be considered a reasonable figure to support. I know that in <laughs> Yeah, and thank you for clarifying that. So um, the $400 number came from what ACC NBC supplies as support per child. Um, for an individual wanting to support a child, I think the number is also around $35 to $40 as a recommended um, donation per month. Um, but when it boils down to it, ACC NBC, um, the way the, the, I guess the tax or the, the revenue laws work out, ACC NBC provides the support on a per child basis and, um, and that provides part of the budget each month and that, that's where the, the $400 number comes from. But yeah, for, uh, for individuals, um, I think the number is around $40 a month. But I think to his point, I think it would be good to be able to have that number, that's something we could communicate out because mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's been something that's been well established on the U.S. side. Yes. Uh, the question was, has there been opportunities for children to return to their parents? Was that it? 
Um, so yes, some of them have. DEEF really pushes for that, actually. Um, the parents have to go through a certain period of time of being clean from drugs or whatever, whatever dangerous situation they were in. Um, if they didn't have a home, they need to, like, they need to have held a job for a certain amount of time, have been in a home for a certain amount of time, and pass uh, psychological evaluations before the children return to them. So there have been a couple of cases where that happened, or if the parents had lost all rights to their children, it might have been a grandparent or an uncle or aunt that did that. One comment I wanted to share. Um, seeing the, um, the work of the orphanage um, over the years, uh, the few years it's been, but there's been a tremendous amount of work that's gone into it from many people. Um, really commendable, a lot of sacrifices that have been made and God knows everyone, and, and no one will be overlooked, I'm sure, by the Lord. In, in my perspective, um, I, I, you know, the funding need, the financial need will always be ongoing. While, thank God, we're able to meet budget, as the brother shared, any capital expenditures, those are things that are not necessarily budgeted for, and so there needs to be collection to be able to replenish um, those type of expenditures. But um, I don't want to give the wrong message to say that we don't have financial needs. We do. Um, but uh, thank God, uh, he's really provided through brothers and sisters and loved ones um, throughout the life of the orphanage. To me right now, I think we're in a, in a, a time of transition and uh, as an orphanage and the, the staffing need, uh, those that will be on site, those that will be working with the children, the caregivers, uh, the need to find a replacement director, these to me are, are probably the more pressing needs. And so we really would like to lay it on your heart if you could really pray with us and pray for Pray for the uh, effort that God will be able to identify and raise up those who can uh, continue to step in and help out with this ongoing need to care for the children. So just my own very limited perspective, I, I see the, um, the various projects that are ongoing and so forth, and, and I'm very thankful to see how God is blessing, and these things are going forward. But we are, in it, we are kind of changing chapters now. Um, after just a few years of getting started, and, and we've had a tremendous amount of work done by the caregivers and the directors, but as the brother's been sharing, that's going to be changing. Uh, we'll need, th those, there are those who are coming off the team, and there are those who need to come on. And so please pray for us, uh, and, and pray, your, as the brothers of, brother Jonathan is encouraged, um, if God might put in your heart um, to be able to assist in some way or, or somebody else. That's my perspective. Are there any final questions? Well, thank the Lord and each one of you for coming.